This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 418. And the quote of the day is, the first step of change is to become aware of your own ego. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, how are you? Thanks for tuning in. This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And if you're new to this episode, or new to this podcast, I should say, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm always interested how people found out about the podcast. So let me know. Hit me up on, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and all that fun stuff uh, at Drummer's Resource. And you can email me, Nick, at drummersresource.com. Always interested to hear how people came across the podcast. So shoot me a message. I love hearing from people. So this conversation today is with the incredible Alex Bailey and full transparency about this, this conversation, I almost didn't release it. And reason being was, I don't think that I served Alex extremely well in this interview. I don't think that this is the best interview I've ever done. I think it, I don't think it's even close to one of the best interviews I've ever done, but the information that Alex was sharing was so great that it would be a crime not to not to put this out. And the reason why I wasn't sort of in my natural form in this interview, uh, there some not to make excuses, but there had been some things that were happening in my life. I was a bit distracted during the interview. We had already scheduled it. I didn't want to cancel on him, blah, blah, blah. So we ended up doing it. And after going back and listening to it, it wasn't as bad as I as bad as I anticipated. But I contacted Alex. I said, "Look, I want to do another interview because I don't think I served you well enough, and I think that you deserve better than that." But I also think that that Alex gave a ton of great information. So I I want you to hear this, but I also want you to know that I'm going to bring Alex back on at some point, and we're going to get even deeper than we do in this conversation. So I don't want to set this up as, as you're listening to it, like, oh no, this is going to be a horrible, a horrible interview. Just don't listen to me in this interview and just listen to Alex. So let's get into it with my man, Alex Bailey. Alex Bailey, uh, my man, how are you? I, I appreciate you doing this. You are in, you're in Germany right now. So we're, uh, we're sort of worlds away, right? Yeah. Yes, sir. So you are out now with Marcus? Yeah, man. We're actually getting to, I want to say, six shows left. Okay, yeah, so you're, you're almost done? Yeah, almost done, man. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> nice, nice. So be, for the people who don't know, I know uh, you just mentioned you're a you're a uh, the M- MD for uh, MJ Tribute Show, and you also play with Marcus Miller. And but let's 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 rewind a little bit before you were doing all that. Uh, I want to get a little bit of backstory of you, sort of who you are, where you grew up, that kind of stuff. I want to get to know you as a kid before we get to know you as the pro drummer that you are now. Definitely, definitely, man. So uh, I'm originally from Kansas City, Kansas, and I'm I have to be particular for those that are from Missouri. I want everybody to know I'm from Kansas City, Kansas, where the name Kansas comes from. Uh, uh, I was born and raised in Kansas City. I actually come from a, a, a strangely musical family. Uh, my father actually has a degree in music theory. Uh, my mother was studying music education when they met. Um, then they have my older brother, who is a professional bassist now. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he was touring with Ariana Grande, I want to say a good two or three years. Oh, okay. um, he kind of really blew up. Uh, he was doing that tour and he played with a bunch of people, Chris Brown, and I uh, was doing some work with Jamie Foxx and just a bunch of people. Um, so obviously he was playing drums first and played bass and I wanted to be just like him and then did the same thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. of course that was, uh, that was my upbringing music everywhere. And it was, it was amazing. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to, uh, just add an aside here quickly that, mm-hmm. and I'm going to completely show my ignorance. I had no idea that there was Kansas city, Missouri and Kansas city, Kansas. <laughs> how did I not know that? I'm 37 years old and I grew up in the United States. How do I not know that? Dude, it's just, it's one of those things where the moment someone says Kansas City, the first thing they think of, oh, you're from Missouri. And I'm like, nah. Yeah. Kansas Kansas is really small in comparison, one, to Kansas City, Missouri, and then two, what we kind of call like the, you know, metropolitan area. Right. So, you know, I like to clarify that. (laughs) So, stupid thing number two that I'm going to say is, where do the Royals play? And then I have to, you know, expose the truth. The Royals do play in Kansas City, Missouri, okay. and their stadium is right next to the Chiefs Stadium, which is also in Kansas City, Missouri. And so, yeah. so how close are the two? It's literally it's uh, there's a street, state line, and you can be on either side and not know. <laughs> it's basically separated by a river. And um, oh, so they're the same city. It, it is the same city, but technically it's not. Oh, Let me give okay. you an example. Man, this so, is like, th- I mean, forget drums. Let's talk about this because this is blowing okay. my mind. Well, you know, okay. So <laughs> everybody's me- like, oh, here we go, Nick. But yeah, I'm, right. I never knew this. No, no. So uh, I went to college at Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Right. Cambridge is literally right on the other side of the river. That's the relationship between Kansas City, Kansas and Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. So it would be, have you ever been to Hoboken? I think New Jersey. So. It's literally, it's, it's right on the other side of the river from New York City. So, I so, I lived in Hoboken, but I was like, I live in New York. I mean, New York City is like, I get it. So, it was separated. There was nothing between Hoboken and New York City except the Hudson River. That's it. Gosh, okay. So, I have some friends that live out there now, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. So, now it makes sense to me. Okay. There it is. <laughs> so, you're, you grow up in Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas, Kansas line, uh, no, I know you're from Kansas. Somewhere over there. No, no, no. I get it. I get it. Um, so, so growing up though, um, talk to me about the experiences of you of you coming up and and first starting to play. Was it something that you that I know that 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 it was something that you got drawn to? But was it were you? Uh, I don't even know what I'm trying to say here. Um, it's like the the destination. <laughs> yeah, was but the- I I mean, were you were you did you just do it because? You or was it? Did you just have this thing drawing you towards it that you were like, "Man, I got to do this." Well, it's kind of one of those funny stories, man. I'm the little brother that wanted to be just like my older brother. I get it. I got an older brother, and I did the same exact thing. It's the reason why I play drums. Yeah. So I get matter of fact, when he was in uh, elementary school, <laughs> I think he still hates me for it, but we're we're fairly close. So I had this trick where I would actually multiply his drumsticks when he was in elementary school. A lot of people don't know how to do this, but I would literally multiply his drumsticks while he was in school. So he'd have a pair of drumsticks when he left for school. And when he came home, he had three. <laughs> I know where this is going. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> like one and two halves, but it was, it was, they were still there. He right. had more drumsticks. <laughs> You're you like, know, I'm doing you a favor. 
Right. You, I mean, you know, I should I should get paid for that. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, man. And so that was like the the main thing. Um, I grew up in the black church. Mm-hmm. What's funny is I didn't grow up playing in church. And my father was the minister of music of uh, the church that we were at. And it was just him. He's a pianist. He would play piano. He would do the praise and worship. He would direct all the choirs. He would do all of this stuff all by himself. There were no drums, um, just piano. <laughs> And so I can literally recall being four, five, now three or four years old. And, you know, I'm sitting next to my mother and they're doing the music in church and I'm just air drumming like my life depends on it. Like I'm tuning my air drums, like I'm adjusting (laughs) the cymbals. And how old were you? That was like three or four years old. Nice. It was it was crazy. And I'll never forget how many times my mom had to pull out that comb and give me that look like you better settle down and get your life together. <laughs> so I'm just like air drumming really softly and all of that. man. But um, yeah, it, it's so weird because my brother is really kind of what drew me to that. You know, there are a few other drummers that were like really big uh, influences, mm-hmm. but that was kind of like the main one when it was just like, OK, drums, this is what it is. Right. You know, and a couple of records. There was one. It's a um, it's a Christmas record. Yeah, it's a, it's a Christmas record. Uh, Brentwood Jazz uh, was the company name. Hmm, I don't even I never remember. Heard oh, no, Sam Levine. It was a saxophone player named Sam Levine. And the drummer on the record's name is Bob Mater. Bob Mater, yes. And um, they did a song called Angels We Have Heard on High. And that was one of the songs that just did it for me. And I was like, okay, first of all, these are what Tom sound like. This is what a snare sounds like. This is what I'm going to do. And really? That was it. Yeah, because you usually hear it's something you know they get someone gets a new record or you know I mean you're you didn't grow up with records but well you did you know what you were born in what eighty six yeah so you're at the like eighty seven okay so you're like the tail end of that right but but either way getting a new CD or your brother or sister gets a new CD or record and and you hear one song and you're like oh. What is that thing? But it's usually not a Christmas record, which is, and it's usually most of the time it's like from what I've experienced talking to, you know, 400 different drummers, most of the time it's like a seminal record. You know, it'll be like the first, it'll be like, oh, my brother brought home, you know, kind of blue. You know, it's like, it's usually not, it's usually not an abstract record. And it's, I've never heard anyone say that it was a Christmas record. Not that that's a bad thing. It's just interesting to me. Well, the irony is that my birthday is on Christmas. So literally growing up, the one thing that I remember most is the impact that Christmas music has always had on me. Mm. But that record in particular, that song in particular, just mm. dude, that was, as Marcus Miller would say, the, the sun came out. Right. <laughs> when I heard that, I was like, oh, okay, got it. Yeah. So let me ask you about your birthday. Do you feel, <laughs> what, do you know what I'm going to ask you? <laughs> I'm going to say this, dude. So, and it literally like my wife spoils me. So Christmas is the most amazing time of the year. Just period. It used right. to be kind of, you know. Right. I love Christmas, but I was, I would hate to have my birthday on Christmas because they'd be like, oh, it's your birthday present and your Christmas present. And you're like, they're two different, they're two different things here. You can't give me one present and tell me it's for two things. Man. And let me tell you what's really funny. So, my oldest son's birthday is on the 24th. I'm mm-hmm. on the 25th. Uh, my daughter is January the 16th. And then my youngest son is January the 20th. Wow. So literally, there's a month of party. Just, I like that. Just party. I like that. 
So do you pull yeah. the, <laughs> I keep going back to this, but do you pull like the, hey, Merry Christmas. Oh, that's also for your birthday. <laughs> no, you know what? One of the things I do try to do is say, okay, this is, we're not at Christmas yet. This is the 24th. This is your birthday. Right, right. And, you know, usually on the 25th, I try to pretend it's not my birthday just because I don't like that much attention. <laughs> right. My wife tells me I'm pretending. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, it's like there's there's Christmas and then there's everything else. So I you know, mm-hmm. try to give attention to both. I yeah, try. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I promise we are gonna we are gonna talk about drums. I'm just in a, I'm in a goofy mood, so I'm I'm asking Dude, you. We all can these, talk about anything. Man. This is- <laughs> I'm, I'm asking you all these uh, wacky questions. So uh, let's get back to drumming a little bit. Um, when you so you hear this Christmas song, and were you thinking then that? I'm, I really want to learn how to play drums or I really want to start getting into it. Or were you just attracted to the drums and you're like, you know, let me start trying to, let me start trying to figure this thing out. Like, cause I think most people are like, that was it that, you know, the one day I heard this record and I was like, that's all I want. Now that's all I want to do is play drums for the rest of my life. Yeah, you know, it's weird. It's like the, all of the intricacies of learning, you know, the drums and, and just, you know, learning all the rudiments and all of that stuff. That wasn't the first thing that came to mind. Mm-hmm. And the interest wasn't necessarily properly learning or, you know, training how to play the drums. It was literally just, dude, this is awesome. I want to, like, pretend like I'm the guy on this record. Right. You know, right, and right, right. since I was surrounded by all of this music, a lot of this stuff just kind of came naturally. I you know, you. I know this is this is the riot, you know, the bell symbol. Or this is the, the bell of the ride symbol. I know that. This is the hi-hat. I know that. That's a snare. I know, you know, and it's just like all of these things that because I was surrounded by it, it all made sense. Sure. And it just kind of pieced its way together. Mm-hmm. And the, um, the seriousness of learning how to do it properly, if you will, came a little bit after that. And what did that look like? Was it studying? Was it out of books? Was it meet, getting with people? Was it just sitting and playing? Man. It was Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> I know that's like the most random answer to that, <laughs> but the answer was Louisville, Kentucky. So um, around right after my fifth grade year, uh, my family moved to Louisville, Kentucky. We were there for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, my older brother went to the youth performing arts school when he was there. Um, and then the second year we lived there, I went to it was a, um, a magnet school that was attached, a magnet middle school that was attached to the youth performing arts school that my brother went to. Okay. Um, and when I was there, when I was in Louisville, Kentucky, that was one of the first times that I really understood the importance of music education. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was, I always tell people when I was in sixth grade, I memorized the address to Berkeley college of music. And I told everyone in sixth grade, Oh, I'm going to Berkeley. You know, mind you, right. my brother's in high school and I'm still that nosy, annoying little brother. Right. So he'll like all of these brochures mailed to his you know room and all of that stuff. I'll go in his room and I'll just take them. And I will literally <laughs> sit there listening to music, reading brochures about college in sixth grade. And, um, you know, all of this, the 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 materials that he got a chance to bring home, all of the records that my brother's musical, uh, his music teacher will let him borrow. Dude, I would just take it all. And this is on top of like my band teachers that I would just kind of take their records and, you know, maybe not give them back. But <laughs> I think they're OK with that now. Right. Right. Um, yeah, man, it's just it was just almost specifically being surrounded by the educational part of music. Right. And um, 
it honestly even didn't hit me until after we moved back to Kansas City that all of this stuff started making sense. But there was one very particular experience that was just that's when the light bulb clicked. I won't say his name, but there was a guy in my seventh grade band class and uh, he was amongst a few other drummers. And uh, I told him, I was like, man, I want to go to Berkeley. And ironically, that my father has a degree in music theory. My reading wasn't as good as it should have been. Mm-hmm. I was kind of stubborn as a child. Anyway, hopefully my father will forgive me for that. <laughs> but um, I think we all are. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm in class one day and I tell the kids, yeah, man, I want to go to Berkeley College of Music and this and that. And the guy looks at me and he was so honest and he wasn't trying to be mean. But it's what he said. He said, Oh, dude, you'll never go to Berkeley. You, you can't read music. You're not going to Berkeley. We're, yeah, we're all going to go to Berkeley. But yeah, you can't read. You're not going to Berkeley. That's about and enough that, to light the fire. Dude, it was like, wait a minute. Are you serious? And literally from that moment on, it was like, okay, let's go and see what these rudiments are all about. What's what's this paradiddle thing everybody's talking about? Oh, there's a double. Oh, there's a triple paradiddle. Oh, so you mean I could put flams? Oh, that's what a flam is. And then goes everything else. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, amazing it how once once you start figuring things out and you start and sort of like the the keys start unlocking the doors a little bit mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, man. Oh, and then I can stack this thing on top of that. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, that's what this thing is that I'm playing. And then I don't know about you. I'm sure that it goes the same way with you where you get hungrier and hungrier and hungrier the more you learn. And it's like, man, how deep can I go with this? Let me, and I, I think, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, that a lot of people get, get caught up in the idea that, you know, rudiments and, and learning to read and all that kind of stuff is going to get in the way of their playing, which I think is so, I think it's so ridiculous to think that way. It, it's such a fascinating concept. Um, in my opinion, that often comes with maturity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my father being having a degree in music theory and being uh, primarily a pianist, um, he taught us a few scales here and there. Um, he tried because my brother and I were just so stubborn. Like, dude, we're playing bass and we're playing drums. We don't want this piano stuff. You can keep that, you know. But mm-hmm. there's just a few things that he taught us that at the age of like nine, 10, 11 that stuck. And one of the concepts that I learned from playing scales, and mind you, it didn't hit me until the middle of college. I was interested in middle school and high school, but it didn't really click until I was in college. Dude, everything that we as drummers play are based on some form of these rudiments. Mm-hmm. Just like anything a pianist plays or anything, I play bass as well. Anything I play on bass, it really just kind of boils down to these you know, few structures that we've created you know, scales and modes or rudiments and all of this stuff. And literally the moment it was like, you know, that whole uh, mind blown thing. The moment that made sense was like, dude, wait a minute. Okay. So yes, you know, I, I, I'm the huge, like probably the biggest Vinnie Caliuta fan on the planet. Mm-hmm. But I remember listening to his stuff before college and then listening to it now. And it's like before college, I'm like, dude, this is, this is like, if I can say this is like, almost the sexiest way that a person can use math and music, the way that he's putting these groups of five and he's got a double in there and all of this stuff. I didn't get it then. And I didn't understand it. I was able to appreciate it. But now it's like, dude, I, it's like looking into a matrix. It's yeah. like, wow, I yeah. get it. You know, I think um, Matt Gartska, I think is one of the, uh, he will definitely go into the category of, in my opinion of one of the greatest drummers, 
ever. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with his understanding of the grid, of the matrix, as we're kind of using. And, you know, that that goes in the same lineage of, you know, the Vinnie Caliutas and the um, Virgil Donati's and, you know, all of those guys. It's just like literally it's like seeing the matrix. And once you have that basic understanding of your single paradiddles, your double paradiddles, your singles, your doubles, your flams, your flam taps, all of that stuff, man. It's like once you really get it, it's it's a, it's that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it's like you're seeing a whole other world. I was talking to I was talking to do you know Scott Amendola? Whether you do or not, that 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 doesn't matter. But uh, I had him on the podcast, and he was studying with oh, man. I can't remember who he was studying with. Uh, uh, the name escapes me someone a famous teacher has just his name is escaping me and but he was like you know playing is just a combination of singles and doubles it's all it is right and rudiments are just combinations of singles and doubles and but for some reason there's like this breakdown that people think that if they learn too much technical stuff it's going to get a, you know they're not going to be able to groove and they're not going to be able to you know, express themselves. I'm like, no, that's the, that's the complete opposite. You're going to have more control over what you do. You're going to express your, be able to express yourself exactly the way that you want to. You're going to be able to say the things in your brain and like, you're going to be able to say them on the kit. And I don't know, it's just something that never, that never really registered to me. Um, So it's interesting, you know, I love hearing your, the way that you're, that you think about it as well, because you and I share that agreement that, that no it's not it's gonna help you it's not it, it's never gonna hurt you to learn that stuff dude you it's know? so funny you said scott so scott i like you for this reason <laughs> i agree rudiments are literally singles doubles and flams right and if you want to call flams a combination of doubles or saying you can do what you want but literally they're all broken down in my opinion into three categories um a lot of my students when i'm teaching off the road um, I kind of teach them that concept. Okay. Singles, doubles, and flams. Because a lot of people, when they learn these rudiments, you know, you get your, uh, your poster with all, you know, 40, is it 42 now? Yeah. The 26, 40, the 40. 26 got transformed into 40. Yeah. Um, is it 40? Is, oh, is I, it, I don't know. I thought it was 43, but. <laughs> There, you know, and, and that goes back to there's really three combinations that we're just putting together. Right. Um, but being able to break that down, well, first of all, it makes it a lot easier to teach. Uh, and then second of all, it makes it a lot easier to understand. Um, but I will say, dude, like it, it literally it's just it's oh man, how can I describe it? It's like someone had the, literally the only analogy I can make right now is the matrix, <laughs> like seeing ones and zeros in everything. And just like, oh, my gosh, one very, uh, very good analogy, I think, is playing tennis. And you're probably like, dude, we're just talking about drums. Are you talking about tennis? Um, when I was a kid, we took tennis lessons. And one of the things I pulled from that was what they call the follow through. Mm-hmm. So whenever you're actually, you know, hitting the ball. The motion doesn't stop once you hit the ball. Right. You know, there's an entire process. Same thing when you're playing golf, same thing with basketball, any kind of sport Mm -hmm. uh, that requires that kind of movement. There's what they call the follow through. And one of the most fascinating things with drums is that we're, you know, everything we do um, is in some way, shape or form based off of a rhythmic motif or rhythmic idea or something like that. 
And one thing I think a lot of drummers get caught in doing um, is maybe learning a drum fill or something like that, maybe learning a groove, and they don't get the follow through. So you get to the meat of whatever they're trying to play, but then the whole thing suffers because you haven't gotten to that follow through. The best way to get through that follow through is knowing the very basics of drumming, the rudiments, you know, understand, mm-hmm. that, OK, if I if I end this phrase with a paradiddle or some type of um, paradidic motion, that's not a word. We're going to use it today. That's right. Uh, this whole thing will actually make sense. This whole right. thing will pulled together. And, you know, a lot of what we do, ghost notes and all of that stuff are really just the combinations of all of those things that kind of help us say what we need to say musically, but then follow through so that it then makes sense within the context of what we're playing. Right, right, right. 100% agree. Totally agree. So we are on the same page, my friend. There it is. <laughs> uh, I like the way that you that you describe that though, and I and, and the idea of the matrix is cool to me. Like I think of it like code, you know, where you see you know you see the screen and it's just ones and zeros, like you know, like uh, like digital code. I get it, and you're like, oh, that's so. When you hear someone playing, it's like, okay, how am I deciphering all these ones and zeros? Pretty much, right? <laughs> you know, I like that. Maybe I yeah, should make man. a should make a poster, like a matrix code <laughs> poster. Uh, and it's all music notes and paradiddles. Yeah. If there's anybody out there who can do that, because I'm definitely not, uh, definitely not artistic enough in that area to do that. So if anyone wants to make that poster, hook it up and uh, and send it to me and Alex. That would be cool. So um, I want to ask you about your time at Berkeley and also what your one, what your thoughts were while you were there in terms of what were you going there for? Like, were you were you thinking that you were going to come out and do this professionally? Uh, and then two, what was your approach to actually doing that and, and coming out and getting gigs? I'd, I'd like to w- walk down that path a little bit. Man, so when I went to Berkeley, um, I pretty much had every intention of doing what it is I'm doing now. Um, that was the reason I went. And, you know, even to this day, uh, I'm very much glad I did for that reason. Um the gig that I'm on now here with Marcus Miller, ironically, uh, the saxophone player in this group was my roommate in college. Mm. So there's, you know, that particular direct correlation. Um, but everything leading up to playing, you know, with Marcus and um, all of his affiliates literally were just direct relationships between this person and this person. Mm. Um, I, I'm going to be the guy that says the number one um Advantage, yes. The number one advantage to going to Berkeley College of Music is that this school has the largest network of any college in the world, any right. music college in the world. Um, and other than the fact that I go there and because of that, I call it the best music school in the world, um, that network by itself makes it a standalone, you know, type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but not only relationships in terms of, you know, getting out in the real world. Um, you know, getting gigs and work and stuff like that. Uh, it's also very important from an educational perspective and not just an academic education. Uh, it's one thing to learn, let's say, let's say you want to learn some, you know, some Latin grooves. And I use that term loosely, but just to kind of show how broad it is. So let's say you want to learn, quote unquote, Latin grooves. All right. It's one thing to pick up a book you know, and learn your clave's and, you know, all of these different rhythms 
You know, uh, it's another thing to pick up another book and read where these rhythms come from and, you know, how a lot of African and uh, Latin American grooves, first of all, they all come from Africa. And then second of all, they're uh, when we play them on the drum set, they all come from single instruments. All we're doing is taking all of these. Yeah. All these individual instruments and putting on, you know, all that stuff is great. But when you meet some dude from Brazil that's been playing this stuff since he was a kid, it gives you a whole nother perspective, a whole different perspective. And it also gives you another appreciation. Um, it, it literally took me, I was, I lived in Boston for about seven years. And of those seven years, it probably took me about four or five for me to really appreciate um, the school of music that I came from. And I realized that the only reason I didn't appreciate it before is because that's where I came from. Mm-hmm. You know, I just come from church, you know what I mean? Right. Play gospel stuff. That's just what we do. So mm-hmm. I didn't really, really understand and appreciate how much it meant to everyone else until they got a chance to see me play. And they're like, dude, that's incredible. And I'm like, I mean, this is just what we do. You can go to Kansas City right now and see some kid that's 10 years old just slamming, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. but literally you get all of these people from all of these different parts in the world. And it's it's just, it, dude, it's one of the most amazing experiences I think I've ever had. Yeah. On top of that, then comes the academic perspective. And, you know, one of the things that I really do appreciate about Berkeley is how they teach, um, just the curriculum in general. And, and that's kind of one of those things. Some people like it. Some people don't. Me, I love it. And almost anything I do musically now um, kind of gets filtered through, you know, my five years of studying there. Um, you know, the, the faculty is great. And again, you know, you've got good faculty and then you have people that did some big gigs, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I always tell the story about, I had what's called a proficiency, which is like one of the last tests of a semester Dude, I had a proficiency once and I walk in the room and Terry Lynn Carrington is sitting there in one drum set and Ralph Peterson is sitting on the other. I'd have walked out. Dude, and I'm just thinking to myself, okay, this is a moment in time that literally is, I'm just going to capture just me walking in and going, well, I'm glad I actually practiced and, yeah. and worked in the art because, uh, yeah, you know. So how'd it go? Are, dude, it, it actually went well. We actually yeah. <laughs> we had a good time because Ralph Peterson pulled out his trumpet. He had a pocket trumpet and he started playing trumpet. And it was like, that is cool. Yeah, people don't know that about Ralph. Dude. You know, like, he, and he can, I mean. He plays his ass off. He's not just like some guy who kind of plays the trumpet. That yeah, it's like <laughs> like when he started playing. You know, there's that moment where you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, he can play trumpet, and then you're like, oh no, 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 he 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 can really play, <laughs> right? Right? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's nuts, man. I had a proficiency or a jury, uh, and I was playing through this piece, and I lost my spot about halfway through it. So I was like, mm. I'm the man, and uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, I'm, you know, the greatest drummer in the world. So I'm just going to make it up the rest <laughs> of the way. So then I got all the way down to the bottom and I get done and they're like, yeah, that was great. And and then one of my professors says, he goes, I particularly liked halfway through where you improvise the rest of it. <laughs> and I was like, how the hell does he know that? Right? Because they didn't have the music in front of him. Right. And I'm like, how the hell do you know? And he goes, look at the bottom left of your page. And it says arranged by Will Rap." And I was like, oh, he, he was Will Rap." And I was like, nice. I was like, all right, all right. 
I mean, they weren't too harsh on me, but it was just pretty funny that I was like, you know, I got, I'm the man. I'm, you know, <laughs> let that. I, I don't know what else I was going to do. I wasn't going to, I couldn't stop and start over, you know. Dude, we've, you know, it's so funny. We've all had those moments, man. I, uh, I remember once I was studying um, with a drummer named Tony Thundersmith, who actually used oh, to play. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know Tony. I had him on the podcast, too. Nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I love that guy. Great man. drummer. And I'll never forget. This was my first semester. I walk into his class and we're like getting ready for midterms. So I walk into the lesson and, um, you know, start playing something. And he and literally he stopped. Dude, I've only been in the, you know, the lesson five minutes. And he's like, man, you know, I would expect a, a scholarship student to, to study a little bit harder. All right. I'll see you next week. Huh. And it just like my whole soul just dropped to the floor. <laughs> I'm like, really? Whoa. Dude, it was the most incredible, like humbling experience. Because he I doesn't think. seem the type of dude that would do something like that. He's also very, and I mean, I've I've had limited interactions with him, but he's very unassuming as a as a player too. Like when you, I feel like when you talk to him and see him and like interact with him, you wouldn't think he's as good of a player as he is. And I don't mean that in a in a disrespectful way. It's just he's just very unassuming. Yeah. And the funny thing is, you know, he has that that uh, <laughs> he goes from his super smile to like super serious, but not serious. And like, uh, you know, be careful, but but more um, uh, just paying attention, just real you right. know, right. serious in, in Tony Thunder terms. And literally he went back and forth and it's like, man, you know, it's weird smiling. And, you know, I would expect a, a scholarship student to, to study a little harder. All right, I'll see you next week. <laughs> Literally, and I'm like, oh my gosh, dude. Oh man, I don't think I've. There's only one other time I practiced that hard, and it was, <laughs> it was crazy, man. The man's middle name is Thunder. I think I feel like he should be taken seriously. <laughs> yeah, man, and you know everybody I think needs, especially if you're serious, really about anything. But if you're serious about music, everybody needs that one teacher. You know, that's gonna mm-hmm. say, hey. What are you doing? Get your life together. Right. You know what I mean? Right. I, uh, it's funny on on uh, on your website, the drummers resource website. Um, one of the things that you guys have uh, is accountability, you know, mm-hmm. going through the course that you guys are talking about. And uh, I like kind of how you put it You're like, you know, I'm not going to not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to do anything you know, crazy, but I am going to kick your butt. Right. You know, what I mean, right. like, that's, we all need that. You know, I yeah. think like you said, if you're whether you're serious about music or about losing weight or about whatever it is, it's, it's yeah. like, you gotta be, you, first of all, you need someone that's going to give, cause I, I don't, when I get done a gig and someone goes, Oh my God, you're the greatest drummer in the world. Like that doesn't really do anything for me. Yeah. You know, yeah. not that I don't think anyone's ever told me that, but I'm saying if they did tell me that, um, uh, it wouldn't do anything. But if, you know, even just like, Hey man, you sound great. Thanks. I appreciate it. I appreciate the the feedback, but I need someone when I walk off stage to be like, hey, man, you know, you need to get your stuff together. Or, yeah. And I've had it like, you know, something like I've played and a guy was like, dude, your shuffle is just not happening, you know, <laughs> and you're like that. That Thank you. That does a lot for me. I don't you know, as long as they're not rude about it and they're not a jerk about it. But everyone, like you said, everyone needs accountability. Everyone yeah. needs someone to answer to. Yeah, that's. Dude, my wife on so <laughs> on so many occasions she's heard me practice, and I mean I'm like really in there. She's just like, yeah, I feel like I've heard you play the same stuff for the last two years, and then just walk away, and I'm like, oh my gosh, really? Just <laughs> uh, all right, 
<laughs> you yeah. you don't know what you're talking about anyway. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah, you get back here and play it. Unless you, I mean, unless you play his drums, then I wouldn't do that. <laughs> well, she's a she's a classical pianist, so I I actually don't have an excuse. Oh, so she she actually knows what she's talking about. Man, right. it's dude. Listen, I literally I got lucky, man. My my whole life is just a series of blessings, and I'm I'm just so humbled by it that it just it blows my mind. So my wife is a classical pianist. Uh, my father in law um, is actually I don't know if you've seen the movie Dirty Dancing, but my father in law yeah. is uh, the trumpet player from the movie Dirty Dancing. Oh, really, dude? Nice. So. On top of actually having a degree in education and has been teaching in uh, music in the schools for the last 20 plus years. Um, like, dude, I literally came from a musical family, married into a musical family. Um, it's, it's, man, it's nuts. It's nuts. So, is there, yeah, a, lot of, actually, is there a pressure? Is there a lot of pressure there? Not really. Not no. really, man. It's, it's actually a lot of fun, man. I, um, I'm actually, my father in law actually recorded. Shameless plug. He actually recorded all of the horn arrangements on my uh, debut record. It's entitled Searching for Something. Uh, if you search on iTunes, you will find it. It's called Searching for Something by Alex Bailey. I'm done. But uh, yeah. No, dude, you're plug it. I mean, you guys, I, and I'll link to it too. Like I, every uh, every episode has show notes and all that stuff. So we'll put it in there too. So I appreciate it, man. It's uh, That was a fun record. It was a lot of fun, man. But uh, yeah, my father-in-law recorded on that. And dude, it's killing that's cool. Yeah. To, that's cool that one that you guys have the relationship to do that, but to be able to you know bring them in and do that, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a blessing, man. How was that in the How was that in the studio? Because I'm, you know, you're the band leader. Well, the funny thing is, we did the whole basically Skype tracks or email tracks. Ah, um, okay. You know, it. What's I have this whole thing about technology, how if used, I don't want to say properly, but if used effectively, it can be the most amazing thing. Mm -hmm. And um, so when I was recording my record, you know, it was a matter of send the tracks out, have, you know, soloists record and you send it back. And then I'll either adjust what I did to what you played or do something like that to make it sound like we were all in one room. And um, yeah, it, it definitely worked, man. But with all the horn arrangements, I didn't give them anything. You know, I mm -hmm. just Let sent them a thing. song said, what do you think? And get it back. And I'm like, dude, this is this is really killer. Nice. If you're looking for a top-of-the-line snare, then look no farther than the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series. These are designed to combine sound concepts to create unique and personal instruments for the demanding player. They come in three unique variations, and they all have their own unique sound quality to them. You have the Heartbreaker, which is dark and rustic and throaty. You have the Cherry Bomb, which is vintage, controlled, and precise. And then you have the Equinox, which will give you that classic, bright, articulate sound. To learn more about the Mapex Black Panther Design Lab series, go to mapexdrums.com. Hey, if you're looking for a drumstick that allows you to play longer and hit harder, then look no further than Promark Firegrain Drumsticks. Firegrain Drumsticks utilize a revolutionary heat tempering process that transforms ordinary hickory drumsticks into precision tools with unprecedented durability. The best part is they don't feel like some synthetic material because they're not. They're just natural hickory hardened by flame. And also, they are available in all of the sizes that you would get with a regular Promark stick. So they have classic, forward bounce, and select bounce in a variety of different sizes. So check them out. You can learn more by going to Promark.com. Let's get back into it with Alex Bailey. 
you mentioned technology, which is something that I I tend I talk about it a lot on the podcast in terms of what it's doing for music, what it's what it's uh, you know how it's helping, how it's hurting. Uh, what are what are your thoughts on that in terms of sort of the quality of music, what it's doing to to that, and then sort of the perceptions of of drumming throughout social media? Yeah. Oh man, it, that by itself is just such a. That's like a, a podcast all in its own. <laughs> <laughs> and you have 15 seconds. Timer starts now. <laughs> and here we go. Yeah. But uh, no, man. So. And I apologize it, for putting you on the spot. So. Oh no, dude! It, this it's such a great thing. It's like it's it's like any other technological advance. You know, it starts out as something great, and then it can become something even greater or it can be something that takes away you know um as a drummer uh specifically from like a a performance or record or more from a performance perspective um you know technology has been great everything from like the little stuff like in-ears like dude i can literally have my in-ears mixed like a record Mm mm-hmm like that when <laughs> I always joke with the band, I'm like, guys, you what you should do is take my inner mix and then sell it. Merry Christmas. I want 20 percent because that's how <laughs> great it sounds. But, you know, something just that simple. Like, dude, I can pan the sax a little bit to the right, pan the trumpet a little bit to the left, the keyboard, sit, you know, mm-hmm. and that's not only that, but when the ears are really good, I can actually turn the volume down. So that I'm not, you know, harming my ears after years and years and years of playing music live. Dude. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. And, you know? and for me, I don't know if you're the same way. Probably not because uh, you're probably more of a pro than I am. But if my <laughs> in-ears, if my in-ears are loud, I play, I play harder and I, I play louder and I just don't like the louder my in-ears are, the less I feel like the less control I have over my playing. Right. And you know, it's a weird thing. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's just like a natural reaction to something. You know, I um, if my inners don't sound good, if we can't get the mix right, um, I'll overcompensate in some yeah. kind of way. You know, yeah. and it's kind of the same thing. Like if I can't hear something, um, especially in a situation where it's a, a very high intensity thing, because I try to be a very sensitive drummer. Um, but a lot of times, you know, if you're in like the, the heat of a song and everything's good, but you can't hear, then it's just like, dude, I'm just going to I'm just just going to tear everything up now. Yep. <laughs> I'm like literally just that natural reaction to not hearing is to do something louder. You know what I mean? It's just it's just how we are as humans. But you that know, was a that, big transition, like going to bigger stages where you're like, yeah. OK, you're you go from I mean, with the, the band that I was in, we, you know, we were a couple hundred C clubs and then you go to like 1500 then to like 3500 and right. and you're like okay and then sometimes we were playing in like hockey arenas and like mm-hmm. you don't need to play any louder at a hockey arena than you do in a 1500 C club let the mics do the work you know what i mean yeah. like and i thought in the beginning i was like i got to play louder and i was I don't know, it's a long story but my hands were hurting and i was like you know breaking sticks and all kinds of stuff it was bad you know it's so funny with this gig with Marcus, man, it, it's it's so fascinating. Uh, we're in Strasbourg right now. We played uh, this huge like orchestra hall, mm-hmm. you know, beautiful orchestra hall, and literally, it's a room that's designed for acoustic music, you know, specifically designed for orchestras, but things that you know the the room helps amplify this natural sound, mm-hmm. and then we're bringing. 
you know, uh, uh, an electric band, if you will. Right. And so you hit the snare, you're going to hear it for four or five seconds. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And yesterday we were in uh, Brussels. We did one. We did a one off in Brussels and Brussels was a club and just a literally a complete same music, same band, um, completely different atmosphere. You know what I mean? And Fortunately for me, both nights, uh, my in-ears were amazing. And I, I had two really good nights. I had, I had a lot of fun. Good. It was like just enjoying playing and enjoying hearing these drums that I've literally spent hours to tune because I'm still that guy. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, dude, this is this is awesome, man. You know, so, nice. yeah. But, you know, in terms of technology, like, um, you know, those are those are good things. Even like I said, with something as small as inners, that's a good thing. But then the negative side to that is, you know, oftentimes someone else has control over how you hear, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that then dictates your performance. Because if you take the inners out, it's usually completely different. You know, yeah. usually with inners, what we're really trying to do is, is, uh, we're basically trying to hear the drums as drummers. We're trying to hear the drums. The same way as if, you know, if we were to take them out, the only thing that we're really doing is, okay. I just want to hear a little bit more saxophone without my ears bleeding from hearing the acoustic drums. And then, (laughs) you know, just like stabbing my eardrums through the monitor, you know, or the keyboards or, you know, Marcus's bass, anything like that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's it's kind of like the catch 22. It just is what it is. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. When you start getting into things like, uh, samples and, and, um, uh, playbacks and all of that stuff. I think that's when it can get interesting. Um, How so? When I for a perfect example, when I first started playing with Marcus, uh, we had this amazing percussionist named Mino Sinelu. Um, Mino was played with Sting, uh, played with Miles Davis. He played with a lot of people, mm-hmm. a lot of people, man. And so um, when I first got on the gig, he was playing percussion, and I mean, Mino is like. He's like his own. He's a he's a personality. You know what I mean? Right. And so as a percussionist, it's just it's like it's huge, man, you know. And then uh, the next tour, we scaled the band down, kind of went more for uh, a quintet kind of vibe, which is really cool. But then we're playing some of the same songs. Um, And so now I'm having to think like uh, a percussionist as well as someone who's laying down the two and four. Um, so over time, you know, I started finding some samples and things that we could do. And, um, the only challenge has been, how do we make this sound live? Yeah. What I mean? Because the intention is not necessarily so that everybody stays on beat. It's not necessarily a click track per se. It's literally, I'm, you know, I'm creating, cause we're doing, you know, a couple of stuff from like, uh, African influenced music. Mm-hmm. Um, this was from, uh, Marcus's Grammy nominated record. Yeah. Uh, it's called Aphrodisia. This is the last record that he did. And, um, you know, all of this stuff was coming from like West Africa and, uh, the Caribbean and all of that stuff. So that's such a huge part of the music and all of the loops that I was trying to create, um, were to give you the sense that, okay, we're having a party in West Africa. Right. You know what I mean? Right, we're, right. we're not at a concert. We are like live outside dancing around a fire, like, you know, doing that thing. So um, I literally have to like adjust the volume during the song, which I don't mind doing. I enjoy doing that. But um, 
I literally like uh, I adjust the volume to give the the samples the idea of being live, right? Hmm. So sometimes that can be a thing, you know. You just sometimes it's okay. It's usually okay just because I've made the samples; they sound good. But you right. know, as drummers, sometimes it's just like ah, you know, I wish ah, I wish somebody was like you know their plan. Now that's that's one side, right? Another side to that is. Um, Let's say we're doing a couple of songs coming from more of a um, like a hip hop kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's a completely different perspective because what you hear on records, that's usually what it is. Right, right, right. Any hip hop record from, oh my goodness, late 80s? Yeah, I mean, they're all all sampled. Yeah, yeah. One way, you know, one way or another, another, they're either using like some old mpcs like the old school mpcs and all that kind of stuff but they're all like they're all sound samples you know I mean, dude i mean just straight from that and um and you know it's funny because again when you look at like the history of hip-hop and you realize those first records there was somebody on the drums somebody on the bass uh i was i was just online uh on youtube and i saw um it was a song that jay-z did when he was a kid it was jay-z uh uh, uh and jazz mm-hmm. yeah jay-z and jazz and I'm like, dude, that's that's a band. Like, this is a video, and that's there's a dude playing a bass. There's some dude on drum, you know. And then you look at what it is now. And but was just, it really? Was it really a band, or were they just like mimicking? I feel like I could be wrong, but I feel like most of the time, like especially with, I mean, if it was Jay Z, that would be like early '90s, right? Late '80s, early '90s, maybe, right. maybe late '80s, early um, early '90s, yeah, yeah. 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 I don't, man. I I don't know. I'm 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 not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying, uh, I'd be surprised if they were actually playing. Well, well, let me. Okay, so obviously, with the the video was on top of the record, but the record did sound live. Nice. It did sound live, you know. Nice. Um, but you know, be that as it may, it, you look at the evolution of of hip hop as a um, well, rap is the genre, hip hop is the culture. When you look at the evolution of both. And how it affected the music, and then you look at like the just the evolution of how the music was produced, and mm-hmm. you went from more live elements to sampled elements to even now, you know, people are taking like electronic music elements, and then some people are really trying to sound live again. Hey, dude, it's just a whole thing. But going back to the whole concept of electronics, I mean, dude, that that's a huge thing. And I think that's where one of the ways that technology has just been one of the most amazing things. You know, when you listen to like, I'll give you a great example. Jill Scott, it was her first live record that she did. Mm-hmm. Um, who was playing? Eric Tribbett was the drummer on that record. Okay. Um, Eric Tribbett from Philadelphia. I think They're I all from Philly. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's where I'm from. Uh, or Jersey. I think he, he might be from Jersey. Well, they're all related to it's like yeah. one big right, right. um this the third song on that record um love reigns is the name of the the song and it's just something so minute nick but it's just the way that they took the sample from the record which obviously was a sample but they just took that part from the record and then the drummer just played on top of it yeah and it's just like i love this, that i love it unbelievable man because you know sometimes it doesn't work sometimes it sounds like trash but that in my opinion was just a perfect example of how that piece of technology something we grabbed from a record that's older than both of us 
You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And we literally incorporated that into something that we were doing today. That man. So that's my long winded way of saying technology can be it can when used effectively, it can be amazing. Yeah. There was a uh, I was listening the other day to an Eric B and Rakim. Uh, it was mm-hmm. uh, lyrics of fury and it has the funky drummer groove in mm-hmm. the background. And it's just like, but it's mixed in with all this other stuff. It's just like, it's amazing the the sampling and how people, you know, how people can slice that stuff together. And, you know, obviously sampling has been going on for years and, you know, this isn't anything groundbreaking that we're talking about here, but, uh, yeah. but I do, I do like the, the blending of analog versus, versus digital. Um, yeah. Sometimes I think if it's not done right, it sterilizes things. But but by and large, I think that uh, I think that it's I think that it's pretty cool. Let me ask you this: What do you think about? This is a broad question, but what do you think about social media and how how do you think it's affecting drumming and the craft of drumming? Hmm. I that would actually go back to just technology in general, right? So for me personally, it's amazing. Uh, I have an opportunity, like I said, uh, release this record um, and through Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all of that stuff. I've been able to broadcast my music. Um, Dude, people literally all over the world are listening to my music because of that. And I that feeling, dude, I can't describe that. You know, my wife, uh, my wife is my manager and she takes care of like all of this stuff. And so she's calling me. She's like, dude, somebody in China is listening to this song right now. Like, are you serious? It's amazing. Like the music that I just, you know, I, I put together, you know, and um, I released it. And, you know, I, I obviously I wanted it to do well, you know, but just the response has been mind blowing. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's like one perspective. The other perspective is to meet these people from all of these different parts of the world. And we may not, you know, obviously meet face to face, but the people that are listening to my music can literally go to teamalexbailey.com and shoot me an email and say, dude, I love your record. When mm-hmm. are you coming? You know, when's the next time you're coming to Africa? Like, I mean, in a million years, like who would have thought that we'd have that, you know, the capabilities to do that. And then on the other hand, you know, um, playing with Marcus Miller, dude, we, I literally get a chance to talk to these people before the show. And they're like, dude, I'm I'm a big fan. I, you know, I really appreciate, you know, your drumming and all this stuff. I'd love to have a chance, you know, to talk to you and all this other stuff. And then it's just like, okay, it's one thing to play for these people and, you know, uh, travel across the world, do concerts. That that's cool. But literally to have that opportunity to shake someone's hand from Italy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. oh, I did a, a show in uh Milan. It was actually I want to say one of the first few shows that we did in Milan. And Dude, like literally, I, I met this guy. Um, uh, he sent me a message on Facebook, came to the show. And literally afterwards, I literally just got a chance to hang with this dude. And it was just like, man, this this is such an incredible experience that would have only happened with social media. Yep. You know, would have totally. only happened that, you know, with that type of thing. And then obviously, from an educational perspective, dude, anything you want to learn. Just go go online and find it. I mean, this podcast is the same way. Like I release a podcast and a minute after I release it, someone in Sweden is listening to it or someone in France or Italy or something. It just, it blows my mind. You and I are, I mean, we're using technology right now to do this interview. We're halfway across the country from, or across the world from each other. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you're right next to me. 
Right. <laughs> you, you know, know and, and it, at least in my opinion, despite, you know, sometimes uh, sometimes the 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 social media technology can take away from um, the experience of the human interaction, um, which I think everybody kind of feels that way or, or can feel that way. I think there are just so many great benefits to that, man. You know, you got Skype lessons, man. Mike Johnston is a genius. You know what I mean? He's not the only one, but he, he's he's a genius, man, mm-hmm. to be able to teach so effectively and do it all around the world. You know, man, I've got a few students that I teach through Skype as well. And it's literally just like, dude, we're having a, a drum lesson right now. It's like you were saying, you're <laughs> you're all the way over there. I'm all the way over here. And I'm able to, you know, to to share some knowledge. I mean, that it makes the world a little smaller. And I enjoy that. You know, I, I really appreciate that because, you know, going to different countries and, and being away from anything that's familiar, uh, but then meeting somebody that you've uh, had some type of interaction with over the course of how much, you know, however long the time you've had interaction with, that makes it that much more enjoyable, man. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I enjoy it. I think it's really awesome, man. Yeah. I have, I mean, there's people that, I talk to so frequently now that I feel like they're my friends and I've literally never met them before. Yeah. Yeah. It blows. It's it's insanity. Dude, I tell you what, this is, this is funny. So the first time we went to Rome, uh, Oh, the first time they, Alex Hahn, he's a saxophone player. He's been in Marcus's band for about eight years. Um, I started with Marcus two years ago. So every time I say, Oh man, you guys remember the first time we went here and they all look at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> that was the, first the third time. time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, like, dude, every time I'm there, I go hang out with friends I've met 10 years ago. Like, okay, fine, whatever. But the first time I went to Rome, um, I actually met a singer. Uh, her name is Danila. And uh, we met a singer. Um, and it was really cool, man. She invited the whole band out to dinner. And it was, dude, it was awesome, right? So we developed a friendship. We all just were cool, right? Dude, I get back to the States and she hits me up on Facebook and she's like, dude, um, why don't you record on my record? I'm like, dude, nice. send me the record. And literally, I just, you know, knocked I played bass and drums on her record, actually, man. And so um, just something like that. Again, we're talking about social media. That was the actual connection because it's like, OK, you see somebody. Great. All right. Cool. We met. That's great. But to be able to go home and be able to keep in touch with, you know, with clients and, and just friends now, dude, that's awesome, man. And yeah. so uh, the first show we did on this run was in Rome again, and we all went out to dinner and just hung out. And it was just really cool, man. You know, it was really cool. I only say that because um, her record will be available soon and, you know, another shameless plug. Now I'm, I'm going dude, for it. plug it. That's fine. <laughs> we, we like hearing about good music. Absolutely, man. You know? yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not like. You're trying to sell, you know, your ShamWow or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you had a ShamWow for sale, I guess I'd let you. I'd let I'd let you plug that too. But well, I tell you, I actually have a couple of uh, drumming little ideas that I'm working on. I'm I'm going to share them with you because there's just a few pet peeves that I think every drummer experiences, um, and I'm, I'm gonna. I came up with a few solutions, but I'm just gonna tuck that away until I. <laughs> get all the legal stuff worked out. Oh, I thought you said you are going to share it with me. Oh, well, I'll share them with you after everything is fine. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I studied a little bit of music business, man, and I've, I've, you know, you know how that is. Uh, uh, Yes, I do. 
Yes, I do. <laughs> so speaking of technology and internet and all that kind of stuff, where's the best place for people to find you? Where can they follow along? Where can they, you know, interact with you? All that fun stuff. Team Alex Bailey. Just think Team Alex Bailey. So it's Team Alex Bailey on Instagram. It's Team Alex Bailey on YouTube. Uh, you go to www.teamalexbailey.com. Um, I'm Alex Bailey on Facebook, but you can also find my fan page, which is Team Alex Bailey. Um, shoot me an email at teamalexbailey at gmail.com. Um, yeah. You keep it easy. Yeah. There it is. I like there it. it is. Everywhere. And, and definitely go check out my record. It's called Searching for Something. Um, features a, a wonderful group of people, man, uh, amazing musicians that I'm really good friends with. Um, you can find it on iTunes or watch this. You can go to www.teamalexbailey.com. And yeah, you got it there too. I like it. And I will link up to it as well uh, on Drummer's Resource. So it'll, it'll be links to your site. Your record, you know, all your social channels, all that fun stuff. So we'll make we'll make if people can't find you, then they may be lost in this world because we make it super easy for them. So, uh, Alex, man, I want to thank you so much for for taking the time to chat, and also I want to congratulate you on the success that you've had, and I wish you'd continued success in the future, man. Safe travels out there on the road too. Thanks so much, man. This has been an incredible podcast, man. I uh, I want to tell everybody go to drummersresource.com. It literally has every resource that you'll ever need. One, to further um, your musicality, your journey as a drummer. Uh, but it'll also give you some really incredible tools that you'll need uh, to be a professional, man. And that's that's awesome, dude. Well, thank you. And I did not pay him to say that. I, that is a uh, unsolicited uh, promotion. So, Alex, thank you again, my man. I do appreciate it. And again, safe travels, brother. Sounds good. Thank you so All much, right. man. Thanks, man. All right, so that was Alex Bailey. I hope that you got a ton of information out of that. And like I said, I'm going to have him back on the podcast. I want to have another conversation with him. I want to give him more of an opportunity and more rope to sort of go out and get deep on, on some different topics. So he will be back, but I hope you enjoyed that. And please do me a favor, be sure to hit him up on social and let him know how much you enjoyed the information that he shared on this episode. And until the next episode, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I will be talking to you soon. Peace.